What's up, Doc? Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Greetings and salutations. Hello, Poppy. Hello there. Kindly ho, neighborinos! You are cleared to land on Docky Bay 77, a podcast about movies, music, TV, and anything else these guys can think to talk about. Hello and welcome to Docking Bay 77. This is a podcast where we like to talk about movies, music, TV, and anything else that kind of I want to scratch a niche on. And in this particular episode, we're going to go outside my comfort zone and we're going to talk about the 1961 musical West Side Story. So get your dancing shoes on and get ready to rumble. Unlike other classics, West Side Story grows younger. So joining me on this particular episode are the closest to experts on this particular genre that I know. Um, and uh, the first one here is uh, Robert Burnett. How are you doing, Robert? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And also joining us is Amber Lewis. How are you, Amber? I'm great. How are you? I am loving every minute of it. Um, so uh, real quick, before we get into everything, and I want, want to give some uh, history on why I chose these two particular people. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of meeting these two when my wife worked at the Disney store. And that's kind of how we know each other and we got to know each other. And we got, um, we figured out that we all had a love for Disney. We all had a love for movies. And so uh, I know that these two are very uh, knowledgeable in both uh, Broadway and Hollywood musicals. So to help me navigate this particular topic, that is why I brought them on. So now, before we get into the actual discussion of the movie, uh, we actually did get an email. So I'm excited to talk about this. A friend of the show, uh, John Williams, who's a friend of ours, not the composer, but maybe next time, he wanted to chime in on his favorite TV families. So real quick, starting from number seven, working upwards, we have uh, Lock and Key, uh, the Netflix uh, reboot of Lost in Space, which I totally love. Uh, he also mentions Third Rock from the Sun. That 70s show, Facts of Life, Home Improvement, and The Last Man Standing. So some pretty good choices in there. And now also some uh, friends of the show, the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. They chimed in with their, fam- with their families. And from seven going up, we have the Keatons, the Seavers from Growing Pains, the Goldbergs, 
the Cranes from Frasier, of course, the Cunninghams from Happy Days, the Huxtables, and last but not least, the Bradys. So I thought that's a pretty good uh, choice of families. So do you guys have a favorite TV family that pops into your head? Uh, the Bluths, Arrested Development. Oh, nice. That's a good choice. Wonderful. How about you, Amber? Uh, my list is very similar to that second email you got. Oh, really? Okay. All my top ones. Um, but I think the Keatons and the Huxtables are always be at the top because that that's my childhood right there. I understand. I understand completely. Okay. Well, very, very, very good. Um, so uh, before we get into uh, some information about this, um, Robert, do you remember by chance the first time you saw uh, West Side Story and how it made you feel? Any kind of impressions from that? Uh, sure. Uh, it was uh, on television, of course, although I did make a, a trip to see it on the big screen many years ago. Just, and it, it's a different movie in 70 millimeters. Amazing. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was young. I love musicals. I grew up with Sound of Music and, and Mary Poppins. Um, this one was weird. There was no Julie Andrews. Uh, it was not pretty. It was like, <laughs> you know, kind of dirty streets and stuff. But the music was so extraordinary and just the way it was filmed that it really stuck with me. Um, and, and I think it's really a movie of, of moments. I don't go back and watch the entire film straight through very often. Okay. But I go back to scenes all the time because they're just amazing. Okay. All right. All right. How about you, Amber? Um, well, actually, I was pro- my mom was probably pregnant with me the first time I saw this movie. Um, my that counts, mom, that counts. <laughs> my mom saw this movie. She was thirteen, and she and her girlfriends were obsessed. They went to the movie theater in Oxford, Ohio, and okay. it was back when you know you paid once and you stayed all day. And they figured <laughs> up. They saw it sixteen times. Wow. Um, just kept going back and all of them had the record. They would go to each other's houses and listen to the soundtrack. Um, and it was one of the, it's my mother's absolute favorite. And it was always on in our house. We were the first, um, family in the neighborhood to get a VCR (laughs) and all, all the neighbors came over to look at it. It was a very big deal. And, um, that was one of the first movies that we taped off of television and, the record was on all the time. So it's just kind of part of my DNA, actually. <laughs> well, now well, I need to know, though, why is your name not Maria? Right? <laughs> there is no Amber right? in the website story. Your name ought to be Maria. <laughs> I know, but ask Mom I was named time. after I was named after a very dear friend of the family. So I'll right. take it. All right. I guess we can excuse her then. Okay. Well, I got to be honest. My first time sitting through the entire movie uh, was for this episode. Um, I had seen. I was going to say two days ago, right? Right. It was actually <laughs> earlier this week. Um, and I'd seen clips. And of course, I'd heard a lot of the music and uh, I've seen a lot of the dance numbers, but uh, I'd never actually sat down from beginning to end to watch it. Now, I will tell you honestly, I did struggle to get through this. And I think part of that was I was tired. I actually watched it over two nights. Um, and I did not off a couple of times, but I'm going to blame that on my job. I do walk seven miles a day in all kinds of weather. So I'm going to just blame it on that. Um, but I will honestly say the music was wonderful. Uh, the dancing was spectacular. And so to me, it was, uh, you know, initial impressions was like, yeah, I can, I can definitely see what draws people in with this movie. So 
yeah. So I'm, you know, a little bit ashamed. This was my first time. We've owned the movie for a while. We just haven't sat down and watched the whole thing all the way through until recently. So um, let's go ahead and get into some information. Amber, do you want to tell us, for those who have not seen it, like uh, me, <laughs> want to tell us the story of West Side Story? Um, sure. So it's a pretty faithful, actually, adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Um, and Romeo and Juliet was never one of my favorite of Shakespeare's plays. So mm -hmm. in my opinion, the changes that are made actually benefit the story and make the story better. Okay. Um, but it takes place in the fifties in, uh, the Upper West Side in New York city. And instead of two warring families, you have two warring cultures, the American gang are the jets and the Puerto Rican gang are the sharks. And they're fighting over this little area in the Upper West Side. Um, and they're going to settle the whole thing in an all out rumble. And so they meet at this dance to sort of settle, you know, their plans to have this big fight. And while they're there, a member of the Jets meets the younger sister of the leader of the Sharks. And right. of course, they fall in love. Of course. And it really, the rest of the story is really what happens when impetuous teenage behavior just sort of spirals out of control. That never right. happens. Never. No. <laughs> no, never happens. Only in drama. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Robert, you want to give us a little bit of uh, history on the production of uh, West Side Story? Sure, sure. Well, well, one fun fact about it that goes back to the stage version, and I'll talk more about the movie in a second, but originally it was going to be called East Side Story, and mm -hmm. it was going to be uh, a, a same story, same plot, but Catholics and Jews. Right. I did read that. Yeah, that's amazing. Robbins isn't it? got the idea in the early 50s, uh, staging a ballet of Romeo and Juliet. And someone said, what would this be like now? Uh, they realized that the Catholics and Jews weren't maybe as visibly dramatic as cultures as as something else that he percolated on in a while. Um, I, I would have loved an East Side story with Catholics and Jews just because they could have kept the one song and made it a goy like that. Jeez. <laughs> 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 They went through a couple different iterations of it before they finally, uh, in the late 50s, saw this big boom of immigrants from Puerto Rico and realized this was not only still timely stories, it's been back to Shakespeare's day, but it also was very relevant right then and there in New York City. It was really happening. It was really real. But on the west side, upper west side, rather than lower east side, um, the, the play came out and was politely received. It was not really a big hit. Uh, we, we think now it was, but it was it was okay. It was not one of the big hits of, of the time. Um, but it was very, very prestigious with Leonard Bernstein and Arthur Lawrence and Jerome Robbins from American Ballet Theater. They had all these, these big talents attached to it. It was a very serious uh, piece of musical theater, not musical comedy, you know, <laughs> no dancing girls and stuff. And so... Um, film was inevitably going to get made because they made a lot of musicals back then. And what's interesting is that for the film version, MGM didn't want to touch it. Um, and they, you know, the fifties was owned by MGM for musical right. singing in the rain and bandwagon and you know, all those, they didn't want to touch it. Um, and uh, 20th century Fox didn't want to go after it either. Uh, and uh, ironically, because they missed the boat of West Side Story, they invested really heavily into some later 60s musicals that almost sank the studio. Right. Uh, they, they picked the wrong horse in that one. Dr. Doolittle was not going to be the winner in that race. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, so United Artists decided to do it. United Artists had been struggling for years. They were formed in the, in the teams, 19 teams, uh, and just never really clicked um, as a studio. The 50s, they struggled a lot. They, they were bought and sold, almost dismantled. Um, they, they did release The African Queen. It's about their only movie in that decade anybody even knew. But they wanted something prestigious to say, look, we can make really great movies. The United Artists basically bet the whole farm uh, on the film version. Um, and they, they put up with one of the conditions. Now, one of the conditions of Leonard Bernstein and Arthur Lawrence and them was that they had to do the whole show, all the okay. songs. Um, in, in my quick research for this, I think the only movie musical that came from Broadway before that, that they used all the songs was South Pacific. And so UA is like, sure, we'll do it. We have nothing to lose. And if it works, you'll look at us. We made a prestige movie. So United Artists did it. Um, in fact, uh, they lucked out. Bernstein actually wrote some additional music in the prologue. If you were, right. awake, if you were awake for that part. It was yes, early. I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, in the prologue, uh, he wrote additional music. But uh, so whole score had to be done, uh, that which was kind of a condition. But it turned out to be great for the film and for music lovers who love the show. You get every note, every song there. Um, Stephen Sondheim, uh, this was his first musical he'd ever done on Broadway. He only did lyrics, but uh, Sondheim did have to rewrite some of the lyrics uh, for the censors. Uh, right. There's a few lyric changes, but mostly, again, the score is intact. For the adaptation, they got Ernest Lehman to write the adaptation, and um, he was kind of known for that. He also took uh, Hello, Dolly and Sound of Music and a bunch of other plays, uh, dramatic plays, too. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the Mike Nichols film? dramatic plays and turned them into movies. His big contribution to West Side Story was he moved a bunch of songs around. Uh, in, in the stage version, um, after one of the killings, and I won't do any spoilers for people who haven't seen the movie, if you have homework, but uh, <laughs> after one of the killings on Broadway, it's immediately followed by two comedy numbers. Right. The uh, Officer Krupke is, is, is one of them. And he's like, someone was just murdered they're teenagers. This is not time for a vaudeville shtick. You know, it doesn't make any sense. On stage, it was great. For one thing, it helped break the tension. Well, um, and you had just come back from intermission, too. So exactly. it, I feel right. pretty just kind of lifts you back up. And right, right. And you go right into, yeah, exactly. I was, I was going to say that next. <laughs> no, no, honestly, but, but she's absolutely right. Yeah. And it's, so he had the good idea of taking uh, Officer Krupke and moving it before the rumble. He made some other changes like that. Um, interestingly, some of those ideas were actually planned for the stage version, but things as simple as costume changes and scenery changes meant they couldn't do those numbers that way. So part of the reason we also see them uh, the way we do on stage is because you can't have Maria and two numbers back to back because she has to go backstage and change her dress. So we have right. to bring somebody else out in the meanwhile. But um, there's other big, big uh, change structurally that he did. Uh, and there weren't a lot, but was he made America a number between the male sharks and the female sharks. It, you know. I think it works so much better in the film version. It does. It's great because it, it finally you get to see Bernardo and Anita together and it gives George Sakiris a chance to dance. And so, yeah. It, Which it, is always a good choice. Right, <laughs> right. Well, that, let, let's talk about casting then. So, um, yeah, the casting in the movie was really interesting too. George Sakiris, who played Bernardo so well in this movie, um, was discovered for the film playing Riff on the other gang. He was doing the London production of the stage show. 
And uh, they said, this guy's fantastic. We want him to be in our movie. He can be in the other gang now. Um, that was because George Sakiris, uh has a, a Greek background. And unfortunately, and we can talk more about that representation later, but uh, the casting in this film is crazy pants. Um, one <laughs> of the uh, young ladies who sings I Feel Pretty with Anita, uh, one, of, one of the shark girls who is supposed to be Latina, she uh, is Japanese, American, that, that dancer. She was from ABT. Um, and so she, everybody is got, Natalie Wood is Russian. Right. 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 Well, and then my favorite part, I, I learned this as I was kind of digging into it a little bit. because I wanted to know more about the dancers and where they came from and where they went. But um, so Graziella, who is one of the, the girlfriends for the Jets, she's the redhead. She's in a bunch of but She's in cool. She's she's a fantastic dancer. She's actually the sister of one of the sharks. <laughs> they're, they're, they're also of, of Greek descent. So they gave her like, you know, orange hair and they like gave him some more brown face and all of a right. sudden, hey, you're a shark, you're a jet, let's go. Um, yeah, so the casting <laughs> was, was really weird. Um, Natalie Wood got into the film by mistake. Um, they didn't want Natalie Wood. There was a whole laundry list of other people. Right. Partly they didn't want her because she couldn't sing. We, we, we'll talk about that later too. Right. Uh, so... They got, uh, they wanted really badly though. They wanted Warren Beatty to play Tony because he was a dreamboat and he was an up and coming. Oh, can you role. imagine how horrible that would have been then? <laughs> Some of these other casting choices blew my mind. I right. was like, this, you, I'll, I'll tell you later. It's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> Warren Beatty and Natalie Wood were, were doing Splendor in the Grass. And so right. they, the, the rushes were sent over and they're like, Warren Beatty sucks, but who's that girl? We need her. I mean, Natalie would have been a child star, but this was one of her first blossoming into womanhood roles. So Natalie got the part of Maria, um, even though she was Russian and not, uh, not Hispanic, <laughs> I don't know, Puerto Rican. Um, lots of the cast came from ABT, from American Ballet Theater, which was Jerome Robbins' dance uh, ballet he was working with. Um, Rita Moreno had worked with uh some of the people involved in the film before on King and I, uh, so she got got to be in this film. Simon Oakland, who was fantastic as uh, you know the uh, police chief who's kind of yelling at everybody and all that, <laughs> uh, was a really close friend of Robert Weiss, the directors, and it was in a lot of his films. Right, and of course, he, he's best known today for being in Psycho as well. He had, right. he had a career that year filming yes. Psycho and West Side Story back to back. Not bad. Um, so they got their cast, rehearsals went on. Well, but here, hang on. You skipped over the most important person because <laughs> when I was a kid, I didn't even know Stephen Sondheim was connected to this until I was straight up an adult. I think I told well, you. Yeah. Probably. For my <laughs> mother, for my mother, it was Leonard Bernstein, who was God. Right. And then Russ Tamblin. Russ. Russ was actually going she, to be Tony. And she worshipped him so much. She saw seven brides for seven brothers, and that was enough. And she thought he was the greatest thing ever, and he was her favorite. So nobody else, like, really mattered. It was <laughs> Leonard Bernstein brought, and Russ Hamlin. They brought him in for Tony. He did right. press him in seven brides. He, he was a really, he come off of a dramatic film, and I'm forgetting, I should know what it is, but he came off a dramatic film, uh, kind of about juvenile. He could have done stuff. Tony. But he's such a good dancer. Right. Well, they, they felt he didn't have that, that all-American boy look that, that uh, Richard Beamer had. Well, wow, that's yeah. true. All, that's probably true. Goofy and matinee idol face and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That one is great. Although um, he was, like almost everybody in the movie, he was dubbed uh, partly as well by one of the <laughs> other 
one of the jets dubbed dubbed most of his singing too. Right. Um, anyway, rehearsals went on really long, as as is my recap, unfortunately. Uh, about <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Rehearsals. They rehearsed on both coasts. They wanted everything to be great. Uh, Robert Wise was picked to direct the dramatic scenes in Jerome Robbins, which was really not heard of at the time, was going to direct the musical numbers. And they were going to kind of work together. Do you agree that you can totally tell? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh. You can you, see the scenes that Jerome Robbins got his grubby little hands on. And then you have these beautifully staged Robert Weiss scenes that are just now, see, I'm amazing. Almost just the opposite. Um, I, I think Robert, Robert Weiss was, was a really pedestrian, pedestrian director. He was a genius editor. Robert Weiss, I didn't know this. He edited Citizen Kane. He edited yep. a bunch of the Fred, I didn't and, know that. Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movies. Robert Weiss is, well, there should be like a six degrees of Robert Weiss. I mean, he went, from, <laughs> he went from Citizen Kane. His last movie he directed was the first Star Trek movie. Right. Um, I mean, like he he he, he could just, do it all. He, yeah, but he never did any of it really well. That was like, <laughs> well. Like, oh, but here's then, the thing: when you watch some of these scenes that are like the more static musical numbers mm-hmm. that have the potential because you're not seeing it live to be just incredibly boring right. and nothing's really happening. Yeah. He has a way, and you can see him do it in Sound of Music, where of staging it and setting it where so much is happening in the background and so much is happening with how he uses the camera that it makes it a lot more interesting than just watching two people singing at each other. But um, so, yeah, lots of rehearsal, lots of filming. Um, Jerome Robbins started with the musical numbers in New York City. Um, the only only uh, a few of the scenes in the film were actually filmed in New York City. The rest of right. it was filmed on sound stages, like fifty some sets and sound stages in Los Angeles. It's fun to watch again because some of them are very realistic, and you can't believe they're not real. And then other right. ones are very very stylized and look almost like they're from a stage production. But they filmed in New York for a while. It was really hot. Dancers were passing out and all this kind of stuff. Um, they filmed on three blocks that were going to be torn down uh, to be right. built. Lincoln Center. They actually got permission from the city to leave them up. Horace Levin, the art director, went in and basically dressed three blocks with graffiti and painted over the naughty graffiti and painted in the fun graffiti <laughs> and made, made this street. They yeah, my, one of my single most favorite moments is when um, one of the jets, the sharks have tagged a wall and underneath the word sharks, he's writing the word stinks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. so just, he's such a bad boy. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Okay, that probably said something far worse before. Oh, I'm sure. sure it did. Yeah. But at any rate, um, yeah, he filmed and uh, it was hot. It was, it was problematic. And, uh, and then they fired him after 45 days of shooting musical numbers. They fired Jerome Robbins. Right. He, he uh, was supposed to have done what he had done in 20 days, not 45 days. He tried every <laughs> camera angle and every step and every everything. I was going to say, that's so Jerome Robbins, though. It is. It is, absolutely. He was a tyrant and he was horrible. But So they fired him. Uh, and uh, then Weiss came in, uh, which is why, if, if you watch the movie, again, the song Somewhere Near the End of, of the film is a beautiful song anyway, but, but on stage... It was staged with this kind of almost a ballet number. It was very symbolic. It was beautiful. It told a story. And in the film, and this is where, see, I, where I, I don't always agree with you, Amber, about Robert Weiss. Tony and Maria are just singing it to each other, just kind of hugging in this room for like five minutes. And it's it's because at that point they fired Robbins and they hadn't figured out how they were going to do that number on film yet. 
So but that whole scene is problematic. So we can get to that. But. It is. It is. At any rate, uh, rehearsal, Robbins gets fired. Weiss keeps talking to him, though, secretly um, and slipping him money because Weiss knows he can't do this as well without uh, Robbins' participation. Um, Arthur Lawrence was good to see him go. Jerome Robbins famously testified to the House Un-American Activities Committee. And <laughs> Arthur Lawrence and a whole bunch of people blacklisted, including Jerome Robbins. Uh, I'm sorry, he, he was the blacklisted, including uh, Lawrence. But he, um, the most of the people involved in the show did not want to deal with him at all. But he was so talented, they, they did. But wow. White didn't care. White kept, kept working with him. Film was released. Um, yeah, almost everybody was dubbed. We talked about that. One little weird thing for film fans is that most films, when everybody lip syncs in musicals, unless it's, you know, Les Mis. And, <laughs> anyway, less than better. But um, everybody lip syncs. Even the people who were singers, Judy Garland, all of them, they would, they were lip syncing to their own recording. They just right. so danced so the camera was, could be moving. They lip synced. Um, and dubbing is, is, of course, when they have someone else doing the singing. It's, it's, made much, much of in Singing in the Rain has that terrific scene where they're revealing how they're dubbing in. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it was that, that well-known, it was a practice. But um, this film is unusual in that Natalie did all her own singing and she right. thought she was going to get all her singing used. In fact, it was in her contract that, that she had got to record all her own singing. Um, and it was kind of unusable. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't. But great. she's so good in Gypsy, though. She was dubbed in that too. <laughs> no, she did her own singing in Gypsy. You're sweet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did Rosalind Russell. They both did. Right. Yeah. Ross can do whatever she fights. wants. Marnie, Marnie Nixon doing a duet with herself. Good. Anyway, um, well, no. hit me with hit me with this. How do you feel about Marnie Nixon? Because I don't think she's all that. She's not. She's not. I, I think she's. Her- a good as singer herself, she sucks as but as everybody else she's amazing <laughs> but i hate that they she was like the go-to dubber and i can't stand that because like get julie andrews to do it you know <laughs> wasn't wasn't she the same one um wasn't she the same one that did uh uh on my fair lady yeah. Her, yeah 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 well yeah well Mar- marnie though does, did win my heart a little bit being big disney fans as we all are uh, her first film credit, she was the narrator and sang the song Cinderella in Disney Cinderella. Okay, and then she right. was all of the singing flowers in Alice in Wonderland. No, <laughs> right? I did I not know, know that. I love her a little bit, right? Right, because right. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, Amber, you, you know her one film appearance where she actually was herself. She was in a, in a musical where she got to be Marnie Nixon and get a credit and everything. No. Sound of Music. She's one of the nuns. Oh, right. Uh, The Maria, yeah, at the beginning, yeah, Yeah. one of them. Totally bland, not photogenic. You can see why. (laughs) God bless. She was the voice. She was the voice, right? In this movie, though, the the weird part of it was because Natalie sang all through the whole thing, right? Um, is that Marnie Nixon actually went in afterward, and rather than having Natalie Wood lip sync to Marnie Nixon, uh, Marnie Nixon had to kind of, I don't know, lip sing, I guess, like to match. Natalie Wood's already filmed mouth. Um, which Didn't was, they wait until Natalie's performance was like in the can before they did it too? To like, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, and, totally and trick they, her. Yeah, they basically knew that because they 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 felt that she would bring so much emotion to it, it through her face and through her acting that they wanted her to really bring it all, and then they could just sweeten it later and bring in Marnie Nixon and, and dub everything. Um, 
anyway, movie was released as a road show, which they don't do anymore, which is probably fine. But um, the uh, there was an intermission, there was an overture. They, they, you got a program when you went in, and nobody in the film wanted that actually. Even though the stage version did have an intermission, like all most stage versions, uh, stage plays do, they didn't want one. They thought that the, the narrative was so compelling. The action takes place in about twenty four hours. It's very dramatic and exciting. They didn't want to stop you in the middle. Yeah, you really um, need to get caught up in the momentum of yeah, everything. Yeah, and but but you United Artists because they wanted to show that they were making a prestige picture and a really a big deal thing, like a how the West was won and a whole bunch of those that came out of that era. Uh, they made it a roadshow, put it in intermission. The theaters got to charge more money that way too. The ticket prices were higher than for a regular double feature. Uh, it was a and then of course once it came out, um, it was a huge blockbuster. It was right. it made. Millions of dollars. It's still making millions of dollars. Um, another little bit of Disney trivia. I found out it was the number two film of 1961, uh, well behind the number one film of that year, which was 101 Dalmatians. Uh, <laughs> the Disney movie was number one. West Side Story was number two. Um, over the years, West Side Story has surpassed it because it gets re-released all the time. Right. Uh, anyway, the, the, it was a huge blockbuster when it was released. Uh, and of course, it won a bunch of Academy Awards. So that is how they got West Side Story from the stage and onto the screen. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, something I, I did see, uh, it ended up making on its initial release $44 million on a budget of $6.7 million, which is a huge, huge moneymaker, and uh, which is, you know, not not a bad investment. I'm sure United Artists was very happy with that, how that turned out for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it did. It was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. In 1997, um, it was selected by the National Film Registry uh, by the Library of Congress, um, and it was deemed culturally significant is why they, it was chosen. So, so yeah, it's 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 definitely a very iconic movie, and I don't think there's anybody that when you mention it doesn't automatically know the you know the Jets and the Sharks, and it's been um, in TV shows and other movies they've you know even brought it up, and there's been every once in a while like a, a almost an homage you know to it. So yeah, it's definitely ingrained in our society for sure so um so let's talk about some favorite stuff amber do you have a favorite a favorite scene a favorite musical number even a favorite character let it let's let's hear it um well for me it's all about george takaris and watching <laughs> him dance is just a heckin delight right um my favorite song is something's coming do any day i will know right away soon as it's yours it make them cannonballing down through the sky gleaming its eye bright as a rose who knows it's only just out of reach down the block on a beach under a tree i got a feeling there's a miracle you gonna come true coming to me Something's coming, something good. If I can wait, something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it is gonna be great. With a click, with a shock, phone will jingle, door will knock. All right, all right. Um, 
And it was funny to me when I did learn that it was Stephen Sondheim because Sondheim runs hot and cold for me. I'm not one of those people that loves every single thing he ever wrote. Um, and when you listen to this, it's everything is so full of hope and it's bright and light and fluffy and you're very descriptive. And, you know, his later stuff can, you know, skew kind of bitchy. So, um, <laughs> You know, it's and just right for character, and Tony is an innocent, and yeah, right. and it's of just, other characters are kind of bitchy. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, America kind of shows that potential that, and Officer Crumkey, you know, shows his ability to skew kind of dark. Um, <laughs> but I love that, and I love Maria. I love like the hopefulness and the being in love with being in loveness of it all, and I love those little tweaks where they keep working the Shakespeare back in. So you right. get a rose by any other name, right? Even though they don't say it, you know, and um, the bit with the drugstore about sending Anita to the drugstore to, you know, to, just to like get the potion. Story. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. It's, it's so great. Yes, absolutely. So uh, uh, Robert, do you have a favorite number or favorite uh, scene? Um, I, I love cool. Cool it, Arab. Cool it. Cool it. <laughs> go, go, go. Um, okay. I think it is just so well filmed. Um, the lyrics are not the best. Sondheim was starting out. His, his, his work is uneven in that show a lot. He hates a lot of it himself. He hates I Feel Pretty. Um, he actually had Lynn manuel your favorite, um, rewrite some of the lyrics for that song uh, for a revival a couple years ago. Yeah, he was like, since you're doing it in Spanish, can you tweak this? <laughs> yeah, I think he realized his he was trying to show off where he could show off because he was new and it did work. But I love Cool. Uh, because of the way it's filmed, it's filmic. The dancing is extraordinary. Uh, the energy, and then, but it, it's not just dancing that they captured on film. It's done filmically, right? Uh, well, and I think that shows the genius of Jerome Robbins too. Is that he's able to choreograph in a way that is very natural. So when you're watching America or Cool, you're watching these kids express themselves in a physical way. It's not the stylized dance number. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I was re-watching before tonight, I, I was in awe also of the opening number. I mean, first you have that amazing Bob Weiss aerial shot, you know. Right, um, right. Worked, worked so well, he did it again in Sound of Music. Um, <laughs> exactly. Right, it, it, it killed. When so you're was, good at a thing, you stick with it. Yeah. And, uh, but the, <laughs> um, the, the dancing doesn't start right off because you are really in a bad part of the west side of New York and it's gangs and it's broken fences and, you know, painted over storefronts. And the first movement, though, is a basketball game. Right. And guys walking. And then slowly it starts turning into dance from just kind of movement. And uh, to your point, Amber, yeah, I think uh, Robbins was so great at that, where it's not 
just hoofing, you know, and tap dancing and, and, and high kicks. It's this movement that turns into something more than it is. Um, well, and it tells part of the story too, because yeah. that whole opening sequence is about what it gives you to be part of this gang and why you want to be part of this gang. And you get all these little physical endowments of that you know, with no dialogue, no singing, nothing else is happening. You're just watching it unfold. Well, and you get right. to see the, even the relationships of the characters, because there are a lot of sharks and a lot of jets, and we don't really, I can't tell you all their names or who who played who, right. but they're individualized in that sequence too, because mm -hmm. of the way that they, their encounters with each other and who's, who's hanging out and who's not hanging out, you know, who the tougher kids are and who the newbies are. But um, yeah, so so opening sequence and cool, just because they're, they're great musical numbers, but they're filmed, not just captured on film. Right, right. Now, I actually have a couple of favorite uh, uh, musical numbers. Um, the first one that uh, I actually rewatched again uh, yesterday, I love the dance at the gym. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. I mean, because it starts off, you know, okay we're you know we're all here but we're we're gonna still be already at odds you know we're, we're all here together to dance but we're gonna act like you know we're, we're, we don't want to be near, anywhere near them and then of course you know you bring out uh john Aston, who in my brain is <laughs> he killed it he's he's just two characters in my mind you know he's he's gomez and then uh, uh buddy from night court that's the only two things i see him so i, I saw him walk out on like Oh wow, you know, and uh, but no, they get out there, they start dancing, and you know, yeah, they end up, they do their little circle thing, and the music stops, and of course, they don't dance with each other. They go back to their own gangs, but the way that scene is put together, the dancing in that's just so awesome, and I was like, I'm watching this going, wow, they, you know, I'm starting to see like parts of it, like you know, they took part of this, you know, into Greece, and they used a little bit out of this scene in in the musical number in uh, Back to the Future. I'm like thinking. Wow, they really kind of set, you know, and, and gave people ways to steal it later. It's such a big room, but it's like it, it gets tight when it needs to, it's wide when it needs to. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got the little blurred, almost like Vaseline on the lens trick, and it, it, it focuses in on, you know, Marie and Tony, and then you kind of get their start, their story going. So that's why that scene kind of stuck out with me. I like, and I watched it a couple of different times because it really did stick with me. Um, it's so good too because it's, there are, fight scenes in movies that are ridiculous because the other guy's waiting over here for his turn to come in right. and fight. And the ones that are really good are when everybody has something to do. Right. And that dance at the gym, there's never any, somebody just standing around, not doing anything. Right. You can right. watch anyone in the background and they all have some active part to play in this part of the story. Yeah. That's a lot of people all at once. So that's yeah. pretty well. Yeah. The scene is still being, borrowed from too um you wouldn't have seen it but the the, the stage musical ragtime took okay. that idea of the groups mixing and the, the opening number of ragtime it, it, it's set turn of the century it, it is basically about the wasps african-americans and the jewish immigrants of the time and so there's three distinct groups in the show and in that number uh the opening number they all accidentally kind of get mixed up and caught up in something because they are all people. So, you know, right. they are more similar than dissimilar. And there's this moment where they all freeze because everybody is facing somebody who is not one of their group. And they bunch back together into these three wedges <laughs> that kind of circle each other after that. And 
Graciela Danielle, who choreographed that number, said, oh, I totally stole that from West Side Story. <laughs> that was <laughs> well, the answer, you know, yeah, because, because it, it works then and it works now. So, right. you know. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and, such a W, you're right. Well, and then we also mentioned this one already a couple of times. I love uh, G Officer Krupke. I think that song is so <laughs> hilarious and it's so dark at the same time. Hey, you! Who, me, Officer Krupke? Yeah, you! Give me one good reason for not dragging you down the station house, you punk! Dear kindly Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand It's just our bringing up key that gets us out of hand Our mothers all are junkies, our fathers all are drunks Golly Moses, naturally we're punks Gee, Officer Krupke, we're very upset We never had the love that every child ought to get We ain't no delinquents, we're misunderstood Deep down inside us, there is good. There is good. There is good. There is good. There is untapped good. Like inside, the worst of us is good. That's a touching good story. Let me tell it to the world. Just tell it to the judge. Kindly judge your honor, my parents treat me rough with all their marijuana. They won't give me a puff. They didn't want to have me, but somehow I was had. You know, I the whole um, what is it? Uh, my mom is a is a junkie, and he like points like you know the whole heroin and the needle thing. I'm like, ooh, wow, that's kind of you know for sixty one, that's a little bit you know. I was yeah. I was surprised, and then you know the you know dad's a drinker. And I, yeah. it made me laugh with all that it's, marijuana. They won't right, and they're not that. sharing. Right, right. And uh, it's just funny because it's like here's all the excuses that I can come up with as to why I'm a delinquent. Basically, you know, it's like it's not my fault. You know, it's everything around me is doing this to me. But I'm it's just also like, the truth of this is how they keep getting pushed off. Right. And this person's going to help you. This person's going to help you. And finally, everybody's like, you know what? It's a circle. Yeah. 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 yeah I, absolutely. I that I'm, I'm looking forward to that sequence in Spielberg's version. Right. And I think it is timely because, I mean, the kids are not that rotten. We never really see them do much that's terrible. Right. But it is, it, it is systemic where it is social workers and police officers and this. And, this, and it, it's, it's all the systems that are kind of failing them. I mean, I don't really ever see anybody do anything bad the whole show until everyone dies. Well, and that was one of my <laughs> my questions about when I was watching it was, you know, in Romeo and Juliet, they're only like 13 and 14. Right. Yes. And I feel like that's a criticism of the movie, if you can make one, which I don't make many. Um, <laughs> but that it's that, you know, 20 year olds playing teenagers kind of thing where these characters should all really be like, 15. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and their choices and their um, problems and the way they behave in their society, because they aren't that bad. Um, well, they're, 19, really they're 1961 of, bad. They're 1961 uh, bad. They're yeah. Not- <laughs> but it's really indicative of a younger, you know, not making anything of themselves. Well, and they play that up in, in, in the, the, the writing and a little bit of the staging of the film where uh, their youth, I mean, where the first scene is set on a, a basketball court. Yes. And it's, it's a dance at a school gym, not right. at, you know, 
some posh hotel. Um, you know, even, even uh, Riff, um, Russ Tamblin, Riff has, uh, you know, he calls, he calls the different members of the group, oh, you're, you're my rocket man and you're my space man. Like, he, like, mm-hmm. like he's the little boy playing with astronauts, you know, right. so yeah. there's a lot, there is built into it. There's this idea, even though they're all too old, like Greece, uh, really, to be very <laughs> um, it, it, it's built in that they are just not much more than kids. Well, and there's a, there's a line too. um, after the rumble they're in the jets are in doc's store. And I think it's action says like, we didn't think anybody was going to get hurt. Yeah. Right. Like they thought, you know, people throw a couple punches and somebody'd split a lip or something, you know, they just, they had this idea in their head. They're going to, Oh, we're going to go out on the, on the playground and we're going to, you know, you know, call each other out and then we're going to get in trouble. And that's going to be the end of it. They didn't, you know, they didn't think past, they didn't think about their actions that, it, yeah. you know, you put that many people together in one area and you start calling each other names. Somebody's going to get hurt. Now I want to uh, admit this one, as far as uh, songs go, I had no idea that I feel pretty came from this musical. <laughs> I I have heard it so I've heard it in mo- other movies and I've heard it like referenced and I've heard it and I'm like okay and it came on I'm like I'm like oh that's where the song came from <laughs> I'm like okay you know because there's some songs like uh there's some songs you just know where they, like how do you solve a problem like Maria well I know where that one's from and you know there's uh you, you know the ones from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and there's just certain songs you know and that one just surprised me out of nowhere I'm like oh okay you know kind of the little light bulb moment I had so now since you keep mentioning Bernardo and George uh, Chakiris I just want to mention that he actually was born locally to us in Norwood Ohio he was not he yes. was too <laughs> that's awesome yeah and, and he was also in White Christmas yes yeah. one of Rose- the best things in the movie him and Rosemary Clooney <laughs> But yeah, he's he like he's back up in that one song, right? Isn't that kind of all? Yeah, that's does? all he does. Yeah, but yeah. it's okay because that's a true another iconic movie. So that's not too bad. That's not too bad, you know, no. right? Yeah. So okay. Um. So for you, uh, Robert, what what works for this movie for you? What makes this movie? What 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 do you like? But what do you love about this? The the music, the score, absolutely, and, okay. and and the the timelessness of the story too. I mean, there's a few characters. It takes place in just a short amount of time. It's a it's a very simple plot, uh, but but they really get so much out of it. But, but mainly, I just keep, I keep going back for the music, which is okay. incredible. All right, I think I agree with you on that one. I love the music. What about you, Amber? Um, for me, it's it's like I said earlier. I it to me is one of the best interpretations of Romeo and Juliet. And the reason why Shakespeare comes back and back and back is because his stories were so good. Absolutely. Um, And so when you get a really good adaptation, you know, it really lingers. And then when you have all of these creative geniuses sort of come together at this one moment to create this thing, um, you know, you get something really special. Right. Right. No, I agree. I, to me, it was, um, like I said, even though I did struggle through parts of it, the music was never boring. I did enjoy the music quite a bit. The dancing was was tremendous. So those two things are what really sticks out to me. So um, now I'm going to start with what I didn't like. I'm going to keep it real short. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, I, well, you might know. Okay, well, you, we already talked a little about uh, Robert Weiss and Jerome Robbins. So my whole thing is I really enjoyed the musical numbers and the the dancing 
more than the dramatic aspect of the movie. And I don't know if I want to put my you know, put the blame on Weiss because I love other stuff he's done. So I, to me, I, I never connected with any of the characters. Um, I really didn't care. Like, I know it's sad to say, but, you know, when Tony, I'm like, it's sad, but I'm not like upset. And th- you're talking to a person that still tears up at the end of the original Star Wars movie when Han Solo and Chewie show up and, you know, you know, they're all clear. I still cry at that. Okay. So I'm, you know, I'm it's not heartless. I'm not heartless. But at the end of this, I was just kind of like, oh, that's a bummer. You know, it just, and so, <laughs> so to me, it just, I, I guess the characters, I mean, I like Natalie Wood's characters. I, I did like Maria um, and Rita Moreno was wonderful. And I like her character, but to me, the rest of them, I'm like, eh, what is the next dance number? That's how I kind of felt. You know what I mean? So I guess, I guess to me, it just didn't translate for me, I guess. I don't know. And I, I guess I was just distracted by the dark makeup on John Aston and Natalie Wood. And, and I'm, I kept looking, I'm going, yeah, that, that just, that I know, knowing what I know, I'm like, that bothered me throughout the movie. And I haven't, I tried to excuse it because I know it was 1961. That's just kind of how things were. You know, you, you cast who you want and you made them look how you want. I mean, I still get upset with John Wayne as Genghis Khan. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But so I think that was a little bit too distracting to me. And that's why I wasn't able to connect with the characters. That's, I guess that's my reasoning, but that's, I enjoyed the music a lot and I enjoyed the dancing a lot, but this, the, the, the dramatic parts of it just didn't land with me, I guess. So I'm so sorry. That is not what I thought you were going to say. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious. What did you think I was going to say? Well, a little bit it is, but most people get caught up in the language because oh, it's very fifties and it's very stylized and nah, that didn't bother you know, me at all. Um, yeah. So a lot of people get hung up on that aspect of it because it stops them from making that connection and relating to these characters. Cause nobody talks like that. Well, um, I mean, cause I don't no, mind. I mean, snaps down the street either though. You well, know, right. Right. But <laughs> a little bit. You do. <laughs> you know it what I mean? Depends on the song in your head. I mean, you might. You yeah. Know, you yeah. And how you're feeling that day. I mean, yeah, if you're having right? a good day, I can <laughs> see Dayton delivering mail and like putting a hey, little you know what? in his stride. I'm yeah. always listening to something when I'm working. I either got music going on, an audiobook. So sometimes something will strike me funny. I'll be walking down the side. I'm not going to laugh out loud. And then I'll look around and make sure nobody saw me do it. So anyway. <laughs> He's an alien. Yeah. No, I, I have to piggyback on Dayton's uh, dislike. For me, uh, watching it again, too, the, the makeup on everybody is terrible. Not just the, the, you know, in quotes, ethnic makeup to try and laugh. Even on, they even put it on Rita Moreno. I mean, she yeah. she is Porter. I'm like, seriously, why did you put it on her? And even the Anglo kids in in the Jets, nobody looks natural or normal. No. And now, no. now they use really now I do like feel color like lighting, but not a little bit. It works with the Jets because, like, these are dirty kids have been running around all day. You know, they didn't well, just they go home and take a shower. They yeah, they make them look dirty. Yeah. But I wonder too, Robert, do you think it has something to do with like, oh, it's the new Technicolor and oh I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. It was 70 millimeter and it was, you know, Todd well, AO, it was all the all the things, but it it just it it's off-putting to me to watch. Uh right. where I mean which normally, you know, I, I can gloss over stuff, but it's just, everybody is a weird color and it just uh it it's just weird. Well, and you nope. do a little feel like you're watching. Well, you are kind of watching blackface, you know, which is well, uncomfortable yeah. and inappropriate. 
Right. Yeah. Well, my question to you, Robert, maybe you know this. Now, the person that did the makeup, were they part of Robin's group or was it actually somebody from Hollywood that did the makeup? It, it, you was, know? it was Hollywood. It wasn't one okay. of the West Wars or anybody. Well, well because we, um, we all know that stage makeup is different than theater makeup. Well, and know, it looks like stage makeup. Yeah. That, okay. So, yeah. Like, it's not. Yeah. No, it, it, it was a Hollywood. The, most of the crew, apart from the creatives, was all Hollywood. Okay. Old timers. Yeah. See, to me, it, they thought black face and brown face and orange face was was appropriate in this movie. Maybe they were so old timerish they thought it was fine. But <laughs> that, that that that's the part to me that does not hold up. Um, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I actually agree with you on something. Woo! I don't feel so outcast. No. <laughs> uh, never. <laughs> All right. Well, so we've already kind of touched on it. In general, does the does this music did it age well? I mean, is it still something that somebody should see and because like i said for me i mean years ago and my years ago when i was 20 and in my early teens i did struggle watching uh black and white movies because i always kind of felt that they were slow um i was proven wrong when i watched casablanca and i was proven wrong when i watched citizen kane and things like that so uh, even though this is not you know this is color and it's panavision and everything so it's it was new at the time does it hold up is like we discussed is the makeup too distracting do we need the remake is spielberg right to remake it i'm gonna dive in because i thought about this a lot when i was watching it um teaching in inner city schools now i would love to do something with the older kids and have them watch it um because i do think it holds up i think it's you know, an ongoing, there's always going to be two groups of people in conflict. Right. And um, I think it's important to talk about. And I keep going back to that feeling of the momentum of it all. And, you know, it just takes one fight and one escalation and, you know, to really start, you know, kind of a snowball effect. Right. And look at how many people that ends up affecting in, you know, like Robert said, it's the whole thing takes place in like two days. Right. That's right. That's very, very true. So, so you say it's it's still relevant because of the story, because of uh, the conflict. Okay. All right. I see that. I see that. Now, what about you, Robert? You feel the same way or do we, do we we need to do one? I wouldn't recommend it to somebody blind. I would ease them into (laughs) it, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it is it is super stylized. It is a musical. You know, it's got some of those things working against it. Um, I think what doesn't hold up is the the overture could be gone. I think it mm. could just be tightened a little bit. Um, you know, uh, the opening sequence is great. But that overture where we're watching colors for six minutes is right. a lot. Uh, and, it, you know, that, that's when I would have reached for the remote if I was not committed to the middle part of the movie already. Um, but I do think it does hold up. I mean, it is a classic, as you were saying. It's, it's on a bunch of lists of best, right. best of this and best of that. You know, it did win Best Picture, um, and um, and I think a remake will be interesting. But I also don't know if if the right. I don't know if Spielberg is the right voice or the right person to handle it, um, and certainly not Tony Kushner, um, <laughs> who, who's writing the screenplay. Um, it I don't kind know if of a, does feel like they're kind of throwing a lot out yeah well and i i I, i've been watching the trailers and um uh 
I, I think the trailers are doing the film a disservice, whatever it's going to be, because the first couple trailers looked like like almost like a reshoot of the original. It was like the same camera angles and the same primary colors blocked everywhere. It reminded me of uh, you know Gus Van Zandt when he redid Psycho. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> I was like, if Spielberg is literally refilming this, like the same angles and the same everything. And so I think that was kind of a disservice to it originally. But but now that I've seen some newer trailers, it looks interesting. Yeah. What threw me though, I made the mistake of reading a plot synopsis. Um, Oops. And, and Kushner, I guess, decided that that everything about the original was wrong, and he's fixing it now. And I I don't know if, uh, for a classic if it needs to be fixed necessarily. And I think that the intentions are going to be great. I will be there opening night. I hope you two come with me. We can we can you know go out All right. word. Yeah. I will, but, but we'll either I'm celebrate also, or drown our sorrows. <laughs> right, right. I, I, but I'm, I'm skeptical a little bit uh, okay, about, okay. about the intentions for remaking it. I think it could be brilliant. I think it could be absolutely of the moment with kind of the racial reckoning we're facing in this country and so many of the things that, that, that Amber has mentioned. Um, but I just, I hope it is not labored or clumsy or just, you know, kind of tone deaf. No, no right. I 100% agree, but I also am optimistic in that even the Les Mis remake, as horrible as it was, there are still moments of grace in there. Yeah. You know, where... You uh, have to work hard to kill good material, though. I mean, yeah. Spielberg won't kill this movie, but he might... Yeah. He might you Do know. you not like him? I like him a lot. I just don't think he's a good fit for this movie. I just think he's done so many different things. Right. And he hasn't done a musical. So. Well, and that, and that's what I was thinking too, because I think he can maybe give it the, a spark or maybe the dramatic aspect that was missing originally he can find. And as long as he has somebody help him with the, the musical numbers, the dance numbers, I, you know, I, I, I know enough Spielberg movies and I know that it'd at least be fun to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, he so, can set up some beautiful images. And I, I wish he had directed Into the Woods. A Steven Spielberg Into the Woods would probably be a okay, top yeah. of all time. Right. Because that's kind of his wheelhouse and his, his style. Um, and uh, But I think I, I he can also that. tap into, you know, the part of this musical that I love, which is just the optimism and the hopefulness and the shininess of it all. And he's very uh, good yeah. at that. Yeah. Freddie <laughs> Kushner will crush all that down right away. <laughs> right. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. It could be interesting for that. Um, well, we at least all know that. I know for a fact you guys will be there opening night. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. Because I am, I, you know, I'm, I am kind of excited for this one because I am a big Spielberg fan. So I will pretty much see anything that he does. So. Um, so let's move to the whole uh, singing and dubbing conversation real quick. Um, I know how I feel about it. And I understand that some people just can't sing. So my question is, why not hire the person that can sing and act? Is it really that hard to find? Because well, I, I mean, that's my question. I mean, why, well, why hire somebody I, knowing they're not going to sing? I think it is a little harder than we give it credit for because Laurence Olivier was one of the greatest actors of his generation, but him in the movies wasn't that spectacular because okay. he was a big bombastic. 
Right. Theater actor. Right. And it's a completely different medium. And you think of the two greatest, you know, nominally the two greatest uh, stage roles uh, with, you know, uh, Ethel Merman in Gypsy and Carol Channing in Hello, Dolly. Both of them, Channing and Merman, both dabbled a little bit in uh, movies before they found the love boat. And, you know, (laughs) but they um, they were they were too much. They did not work for movies. But, uh, but, you know, in the to your question, in, in the 30s and 40s, when musicals were, were first new, because talkies were new, you know, right? Um, they did. They had Fred Astaire, who looked weird and skinny, and he sang, and he danced. Well, absolutely. And Ginger Rogers and James Cagney and all of them. And it wasn't until we got to the 1950s, and there was kind of the threat of television looming, that they started putting the non-singing stars, the studios, into the movies. Right. All of a sudden, Joan Crawford is 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 singing in a movie, and Rita Hayworth is singing in a movie, and none of them were singers. Right, but they, they wanted to get big name stars from from their studio, from their block of stars, into musicals because they were popular. So they they brought them in, and and absolutely to Amber's point, the stage performers of that era just don't work. Much as I love Gwen Verdon, I mean she's just a genius. She did this the film version of Damn Yankees, a role she did really famously in on stage. And it's hard sometimes to watch her. Her dance numbers are great uh, as dance, but she just too much for even a silly kind of cartoonish movie. But the, the main thing with the, the studio system with the stars, they wanted to put every star in their lot into musicals, right. whether they could sing or not. And, and then I think that eventually grew uh, and to where we ended up, you know, with the uh, with West Side Story, where pretty much no one did their own singing. But right. here's my question, Robert, because I think that the casting of Richard Bamer and Natalie Wood, I think they are fantastic. Yeah. And they just, the acting, they kill. Um, but when you have Rita Moreno, who's a talented singer and a talented dancer, and Russ Hamblin, why were they dubbed? Um, it will b- both, they were both only partly dubbed. They weren't fully dubbed. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, only, only some scenes in, 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 uh, Moreno's case, it was because, uh, of the keys if for a uh, boy like that. And I had a love it just, the key was not where she could sing because it's a duet between the two women mm-hmm. and for Natalie to be high, unfortunately, uh, Rita could not be low it's a very low alto it is song. yeah and so she was only dubbed for part of that that song um and um and and uh but but most of, but and and tam uh Tamble was dubbed for the same reason he just he was never really a singer he was primarily a dancer and gymnast and an actor he can sing passively but um but i also don't feel like and i don't know i think you're gonna really disagree with me yeah. <laughs> but um I love Leonard Bernstein re-recorded all this music with opera singers because he wanted singers that could hit the notes the way he wrote them. And it's beautiful to listen to. But I feel like for the show, it's not one of those shows where everybody has to be a great singer. Like they're kids and they're just kind of emoting through it. So I don't feel like they have to be spectacular. It's 1960 and the studio system is, is, still hanging on by a thread and it's, it's, it's the dream factory and everything has to be bigger and prettier and, and, and more beautiful and more everything than your real life. And they were still somewhat competing with television too, which is why we had Panavision and Todd Ao and, you know, all that stuff. Cause they felt like there's a threat from TV. What can we give them? We need to want to give them 
prettier people and bigger bigger scenes and more dancers and everything. Um, but I, I think you're right though. I think like in a stage production, because it's live and it's intimate and you're there. I've seen stage shows where the singers crack a note or they're off pitch a little bit, but it does not matter. It's fabulous because you are there experience it and they're over there and you're here and there's a whole bunch of people and you're all enjoying it. Um, but a film is is a record, you know, not, right. not a phonograph. It's, it's a record of something. And it does in some ways have to be great. That's why they do multiple takes. They don't just, just win right. it. You were, you were impressive, but it doesn't land right, you know. They say movies are made in the editing room, right? Uh, and because, of the, <laughs> you know, and so I think that, that you know, it, 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 they want better voices maybe than they had. And I don't know that, I mean, it's kind of a kind of a moot question because I, I think, would any of us be talking about this if we didn't know everybody was dubbed? Were you well, watching going, that's not her voice? I, well, I think, I think sometimes yeah. you can tell though. I think sometimes you can tell. Like, um so? Well, yeah, the first time I watched the, uh, I mean, again, it's animated, but the first time I watched Anastasia, I'm like, that's not John Cusack singing. That's not Meg Ryan singing. You can, you can tell. Okay. So to me, and, and, and some, obviously they do it with some Disney movies and whatever. And, but sometimes they use the actor. Sometimes they don't like, look at uh, Matthew Broderick. They took his singing out of Lion King, but then he goes on to be on Broadway and does, you know, and does his singing there. So. Well, they should have taken his singing out of that too, of course. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but just in general, I guess my question is, because you, when you look at the kids that are on the Disney Channel now, mm-hmm. it's like all of them can sing, all of them can, you know, somewhat dance and all of them can, quote unquote, act. So I, I, I guess I, in my mind, why, I mean, can't you find both or is there it just, I mean, but do they just not care? Is it not important to them? Is that because to me, I, it kind of takes me out a little bit. Well, I think in 1960, you wanted to have star names and now well, yeah. a rising star. You know, that well, yeah. Um, she, she had done Rebel Without a Cause, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And Splendor, Splendor in the Grass was the same year, too. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, she was the hottest thing going. Right. She was. And, and I think and Richard Bamer had done uh, Diary Van Frank. Right. Yeah. You know, so you had these two incredibly charismatic, popular people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to me, it's just like, you know, it's one thing, I guess, if they know up front, but then to like with Natalie Wood, they know, well, guess what? You're not, it's not your voice. (laughs) Well, she knew knew going in there, they might switch her out, but she wanted to at least try and do it herself. Um, And honestly, I mean, I I vote for dubbing. I don't think she was as bad as Audrey Hepburn. Well, I was just going to say that. Get out of my head. Ever. <laughs> I was say, there's footage of, of Audrey Hepburn from My Fair Lady singing in her own voice. And you are just so glad about Marnie Nixon. Because <laughs> I would not have wanted to see Marnie Nixon in that big hat, but I certainly <laughs> don't want to hear Audrey Hepburn's voice coming out because it is it is chilling. Gotcha. You know? yeah. um, and I mean, look, look at more Mean Heavens. I, I'm not much on, on pop culture nowadays, so I can't give you specific examples. But think about all the auto-tuning yeah. And voice correcting and and overdubbing that singers, not even like actors who dance, who sing in a movie. This is just they're a singer and all their songs are auto tuned. So I mean, yeah. don't even get, can't me, get singers don't even to sing those songs, you know. Because well, that's a whole other episode. But the fact <laughs> is, the, the music music industry has changed because it's all digital, and that's why. Yeah. Because you've a lot of some of these bands don't even tour, and the ones they do, they have effects on their voice all the time. So it's not really necessarily about 
the actual quality of the of the of the artist it's about the how flashy the product can be but that's a whole other side note and i could go on a long time with that because i think the the short answer about dubbing is just too that people love movie stars we still see we still love movie stars you know half the time when you tell your friends about a movie you're like oh my gosh there's a new movie with and then you name the actor whoever it is or actors you know that you love and they love and it's hot right now uh, or even old movies, like, oh my God, so I watched another Cary Grant movie, Amber, you got to watch it. He's the best. He's so funny in this movie. And she goes, oh, I love Cary Grant. Right. Um, That's true. That's true. Maria had been played by the most talented, young, 16-year-old, actual age, actual uh, Puerto Rican, actual everything woman. No one would be excited because it's not Natalie Wood. I think they're also just selling the movie as a big Christmas release it, it's spielberg and it's right. West Side story it's yeah and, and it's yes it, it's every you know it, it, it it's a package as much as i think the personalities in the start i didn't even know that uh, ariana was going to be in this until i like paused and i was like it is her oh my gosh i love her so you know, I mean, <laughs> good here okay so let's get a little bit uh let's say political for a minute um we've already discussed the whole makeup thing and the casting of you know wrong heritage so to speak has has hollywood and broadway for that matter have they got better with casting and and most specifically with whitewashing have they gotten better what do you think no they're trying you're gonna say no. they're trying yes they're trying and it's it's they're trying to watch it's like it's like a toddler taking the steps and they keep falling down it's like all of a sudden at least in in the theater community in new york all of a sudden every role in every show is a person of color um, and yay, yeah. it's, but we can't redress the last hundred years of Broadway theater in a season, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> and 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 you know, all of a sudden we have, and, and and it's it's yay, but but I don't know. I I think that we need to do better. But yeah. I don't well, and I think the problem yet. too is I'm reading a book about the making of the Game of Thrones, and they're talking about this storyline with a female character. And what nobody who's talking about this has addressed yet in the book is the problem is that when you have only white men writing and producing and directing this show, women are not being addressed. Right. And so when you have only white men running things, they can try to put people of color in, but they're (laughs) not really addressing any real truth and so the diversity has to spread it can't just be you know like robert said you know you just hire you know more people which is great which is great (laughs) but you also have to produce more of their writing and more of their music and you know give them the opportunities to direct and choreograph and change everything that you're looking at did you hear about the uh playwright at the mark taper forum out in los angeles i forget his no. name now. I, I should know it the mark taper forum was doing a season their next coming up season of all uh people of color playwrights and uh, directors and and presumably cast later but, but they really wanted to make right, right or wrong and uh, this playwright, and he's well known, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he uh, was one of the authors. They're going to do a, a new commission of his. And he's reading over the list and he goes, Except we're five guys, five <laughs> African American men. And he's like, I'm going to just step away so you can have at least one woman in my spot. 
I'm giving you my spot back. You don't need to do my show. Wow. Um, and uh, the Mark Taper Forum was like, oh, how? okay. And, and th- th- they found somebody and it's, it's going to work out. But there are so many layers to peel away on this. And it, yes. it's not going to fix easily. I mean, it took, it took several hundred years to get here. It's not going to, to fix right. in a weekend or so. Um, I am, I am going to take one little deep dive into my queer theory bit just for a second. You go right ahead, Robert. Um, you were talking about the, the white man writing everything, um, Amber. And it's funny because we've been talking all night about West Side Story. And all four of the main creatives who, who wrote the play and went on to, to work on the film, uh, Sondheim, Lawrence, uh, Bernstein, and Robbins, all uh, were uh, affluent families, uh, all Jewish, all white, um, and all gay. Um, right. And so uh, there was definitely, I mean, talk about not being in your comfort zone. Uh, none of them were raised in this shtetl. None of their parents were on the Lower East Side. Uh, they all came from fairly affluent families, too. So we have these cushy, educated, you know, Ivy League educated gentlemen who want to write a show about this underserved population and all this drama and all this <laughs> stuff. So sometimes the old white guys can do it right, but not always and not shouldn't and never be exclusively. Right. Um, I was telling Dayton before we went live that, that, that I, I watching this time around too and knowing a remake was coming i couldn't help but use that filter uh well gee so this was a pet project of robbins for years he got on board leonard bernstein who was already doing a five other things you know uh and and gives a job to sondheim who'd never written the show and the whole idea is you know going back to lynn manuel love is love is love you know so you've right. got these four guys writing this monumental show being redone 60 years later and it's basically about you can't love that person because that's the wrong person for your kind of person to love right uh you know we've got song titles like a boy like that you know and <laughs> uh you know it, it, the whole show watching it with that with those kind of goggles on um you can see why they were drawn to it why they worked on it for so many years because it is universal it may have been specific to them and they made it metaphoric but I think everybody can feel like, why can't they love who they want, whether it's the wrong side of the tracks or the wrong gender or the wrong, you know, uh, race, whatever it is. Um, so I think it's part of why it's been so universal. But but it, it always just cracks me up. This this story about tough gang members, you know, uh, was written by these four sort of brainy old Jewish queens. You know, <laughs> uh, I, it, 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 it's, it's fun. It's genius. And uh, like I said, and of course, Tony Kushner. Uh, and, and Spielberg are both Jewish. Kushner, of course, is, is uh, famously gay. He's made a career out of it, you know, <laughs> angels in America and his other works. Um, so I, it's interesting to see that that being brought forward too. But right. uh, but but so sometimes you're right. The, the, the white guys have had way too much time on their hands. But maybe maybe incrementally we'll get better. Let's get back in 60 years and do this again. Okay, and, sounds like uh, see, see how things are going. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's talk about musicals for the 60s, because um, like you mentioned, a bunch of them won Best Picture that uh, that decade. So is is West Side Story your favorite musical of the 60s? Not mine. What's I your favorite? I need a list. My, okay, well, my well here. Favorite, I, I, I Do you have, have a list? I, I, I can, I can tell you. Favorite, of course, is Mary Poppins. Okay, That's right. my very favorite. I have, to, I have to bracket this, though, by saying, because I, I, I was looking over a list of 60s musicals, and... Hardly any of them I love. Okay. What I love is sections of them. 
Now, some movies like Wizard of Oz, like Singing in the Rain, like Ken Russell's Boyfriend, they're musicals I, I can watch every night and always enjoy. The <gasps> oh. 60s musicals, there are moments or musical numbers or sections that I adore, but I right. almost never watch the whole movie. But straight, straight up, number one's got to be Mary Poppins. Absolutely. Okay, all right. I got you. Uh, and in my runner-up column for selected scenes, you know, I can just skip on my disc, uh, Sound of Music, um, again, I had, I had a thing for Julie Andrews. I still do love her. Nothing uh, wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. She's yeah, amazing. Uh, Sound of Music. Uh, Hello, Dolly is so problematic, but there's about three great numbers in it. So that that I just skipped And Michael to those. Crawford. Right, right. I skipped to those and I smile and I bounce and I just don't want to <laughs> out, you know, at all. Um, and then the one that nobody knows much, and it was also a United Artists film. I didn't know that until I was looking into it, but was uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Not Really Trying. Right. Uh, and Robert Morris was fabulous in that. It, it, it is so funny. That one, actually, I will watch straight through. Every note of it holds up. It is hilarious. It's still topical about, you know, uh, the, the white man in business running everything in business versus right. in arts. <laughs> um, but it, it is funny. It is it is topical. It's really well filmed. Um, used a lot of the Broadway cast. So those are the ones I like. Oliver, I can't watch it all. Okay, um, all Oliver right. is unwatchable according to me. And the, the, the great disappointment of my adult life. I, I live in my childhood a lot. You can't tell, but these are like lots of children's books behind me, and my teddy bears were over there. But um, I grew up in the '60s, you know, so I saw all those the first time around. I loved Doctor Doolittle so much. The movie. When right. I was young. And I had, you know, the talking, push me, pull you, pull string plush. He's still in here somewhere. And I had all the things and I wanted to be Dr. Doolittle and I wanted to sing with the animals. And I, I still do sometimes, you know, me and my chickens are out. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so I had not seen it though for years and years and years. And now probably 10 years ago, found it, rented it, watched it. It's unwatchable. It is so bad. And it's like a little part of my childhood is like shriveled up and died now. There's like a little part of my heart missing because it's like, it's like an awful, awful movie. There's nothing right. good to be said about it. And it just killed me. So, so I'm staying away from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, my other 60s. <laughs> Probably a good idea. I want to remember that as being wonderful because I don't <laughs> want something else to, to, to wither and die from my, from my childhood. How about you, Amber? I named a whole bunch. Well, I quickly googled a list while you were um, <laughs> talking because yeah. I was like come on I've got to know these and of course it was the ones you mentioned but ironically the ying to the yang of the, the story my mother is all about West Side Story my father was all about My Fair Lady nice and See, that so one I can watch I, that one I love yes yes so yeah I can't I can't choose it would okay, it, it's, right. it's both of those because they're it's both my parents well that makes that's a good argument see to me when I started going going through lists I found a bunch um now I'm gonna pick a, a non-traditional choice because well it's me and I'm I do that um <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to pick the Beatles a hard day's night I, I knew know you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the Beatles I'm sorry you gotta pick them but, but that movie's so bad I know but it's full <laughs> of their music so I don't care um so if I pick traditional, I'm actually probably gonna go with the Music Man. I that I just really really oh, enjoy that one a lot. Forget that '60s. To me, that's so like 1950s ish. It just seems like it. I know, right? Because yeah. when I looked it up, it's like no, it's it's there. So I'm gonna put it down. So, um, but you already mentioned Mary Poppins, of course, and Sound of Music and My Fair Lady. But I think uh, I've actually seen. They weren't great productions, but I saw a local production of The Music Man. That was the first time I saw it. Then I watched it. Mandy and I watched the movie. And 
I really, I mean, even from the opening scene, just, it just gets me going like the whole scene on the train and it's just, wow. So that one, I will, if I had to pick one, uh, that's not a hard day's night, I'm going to pick, you know, probably, probably music man, you know, which- I love the music man. And that's my go-to argument. Every time Robert tells me he doesn't like Hamilton because he doesn't like rap. <laughs> And I'm like, but the music man. Though. Right, right, right. And now they have Hugh Jackman. Speaking of movie stars, Hugh Jackman. Oh my gosh! And it's opening really soon this month, maybe isn't it? With Sutton. I nice. know. Although that's weird <sighs> casting. That's again another. I problem. don't care. Well, I love. Her, she can do anything. Nice. <laughs> at least it's not Audrey McDonald again. You know, yeah. I love her. She can do everything, anything, but she's doing everything. Unfortunately, so I'm glad right. she's letting have this. <laughs> Well, and it's not James Corden and it's not Christian channels. So I'm happy. Wow. Wow. Just wow. wow. (laughs) You wanted opinions, Dayton. That's quite all right. (laughs) That's quite all right. I love opinions. Um, Okay. So we have any uh, final thoughts before we, uh, before we leave. Um, Where does this fit for you, Robert? Is this like your top 10? But really not. Um, no. I, I love the score. I'm, but but the divorce from the film. You know, I mean, right. I, and again, the, the the operatic recording. You and I talk about that all the time. It's it's thrilling. I mean, that the quintet is like just breathtaking and it, it's extraordinary. But as a movie, it's just like I said. It it is the good parts are ten plus, and the rest of it is kind of a, a solid four. And it just—it's hard to sit through three hours for that. Yeah, I admire the film more than I love the film. But okay, the, yep. The score—I I will go to any production of that. I will watch any version of that just to hear that music. So, um, but not not in my top anything list of anything really for for films. What about you, Amber? Does it make where's it right for you? You cabaret, I'll come back. I, I can talk. About <laughs> Um, I, I was thinking as Robert was talking, I wonder if it comes back around to something that you grew up with that, I mean, I've literally heard all my life, you know, so it's just kind of the soundtrack of my childhood, you know, and then among all the records we played and, you know, dancing in the living room. And it was the musical that my brothers would watch because there were boys in it and (laughs) not as much kissing. And, you know, like Robert was talking about Sound of Music and Mary Poppins, where you watch those at least once a year, Mm -hmm. you know, and West Side Story is the same thing. Okay. You know, it's just, oh, I haven't watched it in a while. I got to turn it on. (laughs) Well, all right. All right. Well, uh, I definitely want to thank uh, you, Robert, and you, Amber, for joining me and helping navigate through, uh, like I said, something that's not typical for me to watch and talk about. Um, and you, you guys were awesome. So thank you brave. Very much. Good job. <laughs> but thank you both uh, for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Okay. I want to take a minute to uh, thank uh, the listeners out there. Um, I recently got on uh, the, my hosting site and was taking a look at how we're doing. And I just want to reach out and say thank you for the people that are listening to us in New Zealand. Uh, Finland, Norway, Sweden, those are all relatively new uh, listeners. So thanks for joining us. And uh, if you want, reach out to us on social media and let us know where exactly you're from and what you think about what you heard and uh, anything else you might want to hear upcoming. Um, Send us an email, uh, give us a review on whatever system you are listening to us on. And uh, it is December. So for a lot of people, it is a, a season of celebration. And whatever you're celebrating, please enjoy yourself and enjoy your family and friends. 
And remember to reach out to your neighbors and reach out to people you haven't seen in a while. Make sure they're doing well and uh, check in because we all, all are in this together. Thanks for listening. And remember, when it comes down to watching movies and listening to music, physical media is always better than streaming. This has been the Docking Bay 77 podcast. Opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock. Check him out on YouTube and Bandcamp. If you want to reach out to us on social media, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Docking Bay 77 Podcast. Or you can send us an email, Docking Bay 77 Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.